0: Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of the Russian Football News Podcast, where we'll be discussing... The European fixtures for our Russian sides, they are Zenit St Petersburg who take on Benfica in the Champions League. We've also got Lokomotiv Moscow who take on Fenerbahce of Turkey. We also have Krasnodar, who take on Sparta Prague of the Czech Republic. Now luckily we've managed to uh, bring in some foreign guests to help us out. So from our side we're going to have Ilya Sokolov doing a Lokomotiv Moscow preview and we'll have Toka doing the Krasnodar preview. I will be doing the Zenit St Petersburg preview. But we've managed to drag in some some really helpful foreign guests. So, first of all, for the Benfica, we've got Tom Kundut. He is from portugol.net, and the Twitter handle for that is at portugol1. Uh, then for the Fenerbahce, we've managed to get Emre Sarigul from Turkishfootball.com. That's turkish-football, and that is at turkish-football, so F-U-T-B-O-L. And then finally, for the Sparta Prague side of things, we've got Chris Boothroyd from CZEfootball.com, and that is at CZEfootball. So we hope you enjoy this podcast and hopefully get a bit of insight not only into the Russian teams, but also to their opponents. Okay so welcome to the first of these European previews. We're going to kick off by starting with the Champions League game which uh, the first leg is on this Tuesday so that is the 16th of February. It's a 7.45 kickoff in Portugal. The return leg is on the 9th of March and that is a 5 o'clock kickoff time. That is Greenwich Mean Time, London time. Well today we have our Benfica expert with us. That is uh, that is Tom Kundert. How are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Good, uh, good to be on.
0: Lovely. That's that's Tom from Portugal.net. So
1: we may as well kick off straight away.
0: So I'm just going to fire this question at you, Tom, if you don't mind. So okay. how, have, how have Benfica done domestically and continentally this season?
1: Uh, OK, well, they've had a, a, a good season in general, I'd say. Started off very shakily because there was a lot of instability at the club after they uh, lost their manager Jorge Jesus, who'd been there for six years. He'd done a very good job at Benfica, but uh, he left uh, in a quite sensational move for cross-town rivals Sporting. And Benfica brought in a new manager uh, called Rui Vittoria from a smaller club, uh, Vittoria Guimarães. And uh, the first couple of months of the season, they were having some shaky results, and there was uh, a little, i say, quite a lot of contestation. Uh, about the club and uh, whether they uh, you know, made a big mistake in uh, letting George Zuzko. But uh, slowly but surely, uh, the Roy Victoria got the team playing a lot better and they've uh, been really just improving game by game. And uh, the last couple of months, they've undoubtedly been the best team in Portugal. They reeled off 11 straight wins and uh, have been scoring goals for fun. ever. Really had an incredible scoring record in those 11 games. They scored 36 goals. Uh, that run came to an end yesterday, actually, uh, just yesterday against FC Porto, where they uh, they lost 2-1. Uh, again, they played very well. They were a bit unlucky. Uh, they created most of the chances, uh, but uh, Icar Casillas, the uh, the Porto goalkeeper, kind of rolled back the years, made a Five or six absolutely outstanding saves. And uh, Benfica ended up losing that game 2-1. <clears throat> and so they may lose the leadership of the Portuguese league uh, this, uh, today, actually. If Sporting draw or win their game, uh, Benfica will go second. Uh, but overall, domestically, uh, I think people, their fans, and the most observers of the Portuguese game will probably admit they've done a little better than expected. Uh, as for the Champions League, there's no doubt at all that they have done a lot better than expected because although they've been very successful in Portugal over the last six years, uh, like I say, under the previous manager, Jorge Jesus, they've been very disappointing in the Champions League. Uh, only once they actually got, they qualified from the group stage and they got to the quarterfinals. Uh, and all the other times they uh, tumbled out of, uh, of the Champions League, went into the Europa League and once even actually went completely out of Europe. This season, they were in a group with not, not very straightforward groups, Atletico Madrid, uh, <clears throat> their main rivals. And, uh, well, they, they just did a tremendous job. Uh, they, they also had uh, a stana and uh, they managed to get through the, the group stage quite impressively. Even with two games to spare, they were qualified, more or less. Ended up finished second. And uh, looking at the draw, of course, when you finish second in the Champions League, there's always a bit of trepidation that you might get uh, someone like Bayern Munich or Real Madrid or Barcelona in the next round. Uh, So when they were drawn against Zenit, uh, with all due respect to Zenit, I think uh, Benfica were quite happy about that draw. And looking forward to the the tie, I wouldn't say they consider themselves favourites, but uh, certainly uh, they've got a chance.
0: Yeah, it's quite weird because you mentioned how Benfica would be happy with the draw. I think the feeling was very much mutual on the Zenit side because there are a few sides I'm looking at like Arsenal and things and there are a few other teams that finished second that Zenit really wouldn't have fancy but also I think the good thing with for Zenit's point of view with Benfica is was it last year they're in the same group where they both, well Benfica finished bottom yeah. and it was both a really poor group alongside Monaco and Bayer Leverkusen That's right. And Zenit did the double over Benfica. So I think they'd be quite happy with that, really. In terms of Zenit, it's been very much Jekyll and Hyde because in the Champions League, they have, well, they won five out of six Champions League games. They probably should have won the sixth as well away at Ghent, who miraculously got through that group, really. But on that final game, they had Hulk, who was a yellow card away from suspension in the next round, rested a few other players as well and lost 2-1 in the end. They knew they were top of the group. They just wanted to make sure that Hulk wasn't suspended, essentially. But in the league, it's a completely different story. They're actually sixth in the league at the moment and they are the reigning champions. Although I will say they are only four points off second place. But, you know, like I said, very Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, again, it's going to be quite interesting because, like you said, I think both teams will be happy with this draw. In terms of Benfica, what is the playing style? What sort of formation do they do? Is there any particular philosophy they adopt?
1: Yeah, they have a, a very attacking side. Uh, of course, usually in Portugal, the big three, that's a sporting Porto, and Benfica, they're naturally quite attacking sides because 80% of their games, basically any games apart from the ones when they play against each other, they play against sides who are, uh, you know, basically part of the burst who've got, vastly inferior team players and so they have to be set up in an attacking way to to try and get through the the mass ranked ranks of of defense of the opposition so that generally makes portuguese uh the biggest portuguese teams quite attacking just by nature and uh yeah this one's no different. usually plays 4-4-2 two strikers up front jonas ex-valencia brazilian center forward been an absolute revelation since his signed for Benfica on a free transfer, which is incredible, really, that they got him one season ago. Played, I think, 65 games for Benfica and scored 55 goals. So that's a, an absolutely incredible record, and he's their he's their main uh, goal getter without a doubt. Although some question marks hang around him doing it in the big games, because he uh, in the in the big games, for instance, against Sporting or Porto, he hasn't managed to hit the net yet. So, uh, and I think in the Champions League, in the group stage, although Benfica had a good group stage, uh, he only scored one goal. So he'll be looking to try and uh, improve his record there. And uh, he's also alongside uh, Mitragoulou, the Greek striker, who, of course, uh, spent some time in England at Fulham. And uh, probably people who saw him there wouldn't have been too impressed, but he's formed a really good partnership with Jonas. Uh, and uh, together, they're, uh, you know, they combine well and they look quite dangerous. Uh, like I say, 4-4-2 it's quite curious, this Benfica side. They don't really have any pure wingers at the moment. They started off the season with uh, Goncalo Guedes, very exciting young Portuguese winger, but he's slightly fallen out of favour now. <laughs> and so they've got uh, two wide players in Gaitan. Uh, Nico Gaitan is probably their emblematic standout player, I would say. You know, linked for years on end with a move to Manchester United.
0: He's actually been linked yeah, with been Zenit recently, I've read in the Russian press.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. He's and he's a really classy player, but uh, he's, he plays wide on the left, but he's not a uh, kind of a traditional winger to hit byline. He always puts inside. And on the other side, I've got Pizzi, Portuguese midfielder, who's got similar kind of style, really. Very rarely goes wide to the, to the byline, normally cuts inside. They're both very good goal threats in, in their own right. They're probably just as likely to score as they are to assist. And then in the middle, they've got, uh, I suppose, the, the new golden boy of Portuguese football, which is a, uh, it's called Renato Sanchez, just 18 years old. And he has just made an absolutely incredible impact. Uh, I mentioned before how Benfica had struggled a little bit in the first two months of the season. Uh, their upturn in form coincided completely with a uh, his introduction into the side. And there's no doubt about it, it was no coincidence. He's just been superb. He's a really strong, physical, despite only being 18 years old, strong, physical, powerful midfielder, uh, driving through the centre, sets up a lot of goals, set up a goal beautifully yesterday against Porto. And uh, a lot of people are already saying he's got a very good chance of going to Euro 2016, with Portugal, so and Portugal have got a lot of very good, talented midfielders, so that kind of tells you, uh, you know, the impact is made. So, uh, that's going to be a very interesting battle, actually. I'd just like to ask you has there been a lot of talk in, uh, in Russia and among the press about uh, the, the returning ex Benfica players? Because, of course, uh, in the middle of the park, which is always a very important part, important battle to win. Zenit will presumably have uh, Witzel and uh, Javi Garcia both coming back to their ex clubs. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that pans out.
0: Yeah, well, we've also got Ezekiel Garay at the back as well. Also, we've got Hulk who play for yeah. Porto. So we've got quite yeah. a few Portuguese connections at Zenit. But it'll be. You know, oh, Witzel will definitely play, I imagine. But it's interesting with Javi Garcia because Zenit signed uh, Mauricio in the winter transfer window he's actually brazilian but he's looking to get russian citizenship so he could play alongside vitzel but it's a bit uncertain with that but what really interested me with your analysis of benfica is how you say about the unnatural wing as well Zenit they play a four two three one so that three behind the front man you've got hulk on the right and you've got alex Shatov on the left they are both on their wrong foot essentially so they cut inside so it sounds very similar and they play off That striker, Artem Zuba who's in sensational form. He is the third top goal scorer in the Champions League with six goals. So he's doing quite well. And like I said, did very well in the group stage. Again, like Benfica, do tend to get a lot of... Well, they tend to try and steamroll the opposition domestically because, like you said, vastly superior budget. But again... I think that maybe it's been the same with Benfica. That's been their downfall in, in Europe in recent years because they just don't get the opportunity to, to attack teams so much. So I think Zenit in Europe now trying to get a bit more on the counter-attack. You've got pace out wide. You've got pace in the centre as well, depending on who plays. Because, of course, Zenit have recently signed um, Russia's golden boy. You talk about Portugal's golden boy. We've got Russia's golden boy playing in the same fixture, Alexander Kokorin assuming he plays He's a player who's not really lived up to his potential, but he could play, imagine, probably on the left-hand side with Shatov moving into the middle, or he could just find himself on the bench. But, yeah, generally, it's quite interesting with the whole Benfica and Portuguese connection in general. It's
1: Yeah, and, of course, the, so sorry to interrupt, Thomas. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> we can't talk about that without talking about Andre Villas-Boas himself. Because, of course, he had, uh, when he was at Porto with... Uh, Uh, with Hulk and Falcão that amazing team they had when they won the Portuguese League they just ran away with it and also won the Europa League and uh, he just had a fantastic record against Benfica and especially at the Estádio de Luz (coughs) at Benfica's ground Uh, I think they won three times that season they actually clinched the championship quite a famous night at Benfica when uh, they, they had to win the game to clinch the championship it was way before the end of the season I think they were still six or seven games left, they did win. And Benfica, in an act of uh, fantastic sportsmanship, you see how much these clubs hate each other, they uh, switched off all the lights as soon as the, the match ended, put on the sprinklers to try and dampen Porto's celebrations. But uh, that actually ended up being quite a famous night and there's lots of pictures of Hulk, especially, uh, celebrating in the, you know, with the sprinklers going on and almost just in the dusk. And uh, the uh, Benfica fans all filing out and the <laughs> small group of Porto fans absolutely loving it, but Hulk and Andre Villas-Boas have both got very good memories of the Stadio de Luz. I remember it's interesting that you're talking, of course, about Hulk. he's really his speciality, isn't it? Playing on the right, cutting inside and unleashing those incredible shots of his left foot. I remember he did precisely that at the Stadio de Luz. Uh, scored a absolutely magnificent goal, I think in a league game, in his Porto days and of course, if he I don't know what his form's like, what his form's been like uh, since the winter break, I'm not even sure if Senate have been back playing again, they're, but
0: then they're so still on from the, the break highlights, at
1: the of, yeah, from watching him in the, the group stage he was just uh, absolutely on fire, wasn't he, in the Champions League, so that's definitely going to be a big threat for Benfica and I'd say one weakness this Benfica side does have, possibly, is a Really uh, central defence, and uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Hulk uh, got some joy on on the left hand side because I also I was talking about PZ and Guy Tan, who are both uh, very talented attacking players, but perhaps not the best defensively. So uh, they might uh, Hope might be able to get a bit of joy there.
0: I was going to say, you talk about Hulk, we actually did an article on Russian Football News recently, written by Toko Thelade, the editor. It's actually really interesting because I'm sure you'll have seen from Hulk's time in Portugal how he used to shoot a lot. But now he's up there with some of the top assists in the Russian Premier League. So it's actually really interesting how he's transformed his game. You've mentioned about Benfica's weaknesses there. I want to tie two questions into one here. So, what are Benfica's strengths? And also, speaking of Hulk and André Villas-Boas with their Porto connections, what reception are they likely to get?
1: Okay, well, the reception they get won't be the the most friendly (laughs) of receptions. Uh, Although, I suppose some some time has passed and uh, I wouldn't say there's a a whole lot of animosity there, especially, I suppose, André Villas-Boas because, after all, he is a successful Portuguese Manager, so he does get, uh, you know. So I think there's a certain amount of pride in his career, and uh, probably extends to some Benfica supporters. Although, having said that, he was asked in an interview just a couple of weeks ago, I think, if he returns to Portugal, would he ever consider managing Benfica? And his response was a very curt no, straight away. So <laughs> I suppose he won't be the most popular man I can I think you can say on Tuesday night. I think Benfica will be more concerned, Benfica fans will be more concerned just with you know, seeing how their team does rather than trying to barrack the opposition players. And uh, as for Benfica's strengths, I think it's just their attacking play. And especially, like I say, this, uh, uh, Renato Sanchez is 18 years old. He's just really a joy to watch him because he plays with such freedom and such complete lack of, I suppose, pressure or tension. You know, it's really just. It's almost like he's playing in the park with his, with his mates. And there's a, but the only difference is, is he's, he puts in a very mature display as well as roaming, I suppose you could say, roaming the park at the pitch uh, with uh, free abandon. But he's also disciplined enough to, to really make, make that team tick. So that's what people have been so fascinated and amazed by him. He's 18 years old he really has already become the heartbeat of that team. So, it's definitely one to look out for. <clears throat> it's going to be very interesting, because Witzel such a strong player physically. Uh, that's going to be a really good tussle to see who comes out on top. As, they, as for their weakness, yeah, I said central defence. Their whole defensive back four, really, on paper, isn't the best. And uh, especially the left back, of course, El-Zil. I actually remember in the game, uh, the Benfica Zenit game last season in the Champions League. I think it was the first group game. Zenit won 2-0. And I remember uh, Hulk getting a, a lot of joy against Eliseo. And so that's a definite definite weakness. And in the centre of the in the actual centre of defense their Captain Louis Al, Benfica's captain, has been out for two, or three months, with a broken arm. It's had to be have a second operation on that. So He's possibly going to miss the rest of the season uh so he won't be there and then his replacement who's actually did a, did a very good job uh argentinian center back is andre lopez he got injured uh, a couple of weeks ago he's missed the last two or three games <laughs> and uh so they've got a young 18 uh young uh, i think it's 20 old uh swedish uh center back Linda loff who's uh he's, he's done okay in the, in the game so far but You know, you can tell that he's not really the same calibre of player as uh, Lisandro Lopez or Luis Al. So I think you can, I think it's fair to say that Zenit will fancy their chances of scoring uh, in Lisbon, which of course is is so important in these Champions League games. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few goals in this game.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Witzel there. That is certainly one of Zenit's strengths. And really, it's really hard to ignore that attacking line, that front four, if you want to call it, with Zuba, Shatov. Dani, play and uh, Hulk, of course, that we've mentioned previously. In terms of weaknesses of Zenit, again, with Zenit, it is that defence, especially in the centre. You've got Garay who's quite strong, but it's just finding a partner for him. You've got Nico Lombards, who... He's generally been quite reliable, but a player you might know a bit about, Luis Neto. I have ranted about this player for yeah. a long time. He is He's he's fancied by, fancied by AVB and actually, coincidentally, has the same agent as AVB. So I don't know if that's something to do with it. But yeah, if Benfica can expose Neto if he plays, then it will certainly be quite interesting. Another position to highlight with Zenit is a weakness is the goalkeeper which really pains me to say it because I'm a big fan of Yuri Ladigin but he has dropped quite a lot in form this season he's been replaced by Kirchikov Mikhail Kirchikov who's the brother of Alexander a couple of times but it would be interesting to see whether Ladigin or Kirchikov plays but a further weakness for Benfica will the travel time to St. Petersburg in a couple of weeks really sort of harm Benfica
1: perhaps it will for one reason it's that they like I said, in, in the beginning of the season, after two months, it looked like they'd kind of written off this season in terms of their championship aspirations. But uh, then they had this absolutely fantastic run, which took them right to the top of the league, Got beaten yesterday. So it's highly likely that they're thought to second. But of course, there's just going to be one or two points behind, or two or you know, one or three points behind Sporting. So it's very likely that by the time that second leg rolls around, Benfica are very much in the title race, and so yeah, they and depending how the, the how the first leg goes, uh, it may they may actually uh, imagine if Zenit come out winners or get a scoring draw, you know, that Benfica may actually prioritise the league because uh, that you know sounds crazy, you know, Champions League, uh, spurning a chance to get into the quarterfinals. But if Benfica can win a championship this season, that would be free. Championships on the row and uh, you know, really, I suppose, stamp their authority again after years and years of Porto domination as a uh, Portugal's uh, number one team. So, they'd be very keen to do that. Also, uh, I haven't quite got present the exact date of the second egg, but
0: it's the 9th of March.
1: Could... Ah, well, that means it will be just a few days after, if I've got my dates right, uh, a few days after. Uh, sporting against Benfica, which could well be the championship decider, which I think is on scheduled for the 6th of March, uh, Sunday. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so that actually makes your question even more pertinent. There uh, definitely people in absolutely everything into that uh, Lisbon-Derby clash, which if it's just, you know, three or four days before the second leg, uh, that could well have a bearing on uh, their physical condition when they, when they travel to Russia.
0: So you've mentioned a particularly interesting guy tankers. Of course, I've mentioned his links with Zenit. You've mentioned the front two as well. What other players should we be looking out for? Apart from, apart from the central midfielder you talk about as well. Is there anyone yeah, yeah. that could really surprise us?
1: Pizzi he's, a, he's an interesting player, really. He's the, the right-sided midfielder. Uh, he's in his mid-20s. Uh, I think he's about 26, 27. So he should be more or less coming into the prime of his career. He was a big prospect for Portugal when he kind of burst onto the scene. went abroad early, played for Atletico Madrid uh, for two or three seasons. Uh, this was, of course, before Atletico Madrid became the force. They had done the last two or three seasons. But even so, it was a, you know, playing in a high-quality league and a, a big team, he got some good experience there. Didn't really kick on to fulfil his early potential, uh, and then at Benfica, Benfica brought him back. He was actually moved to central midfield, where, again, he did a very good job. I'd say he was competent without being particularly explosive. But uh, it's very interesting that upon the, the emergence of Renato Santos who's taken that central midfield position, he's been moved to the right side to, I suppose what you could say is, is his more natural position. And he's really thrived this the last two or three months, I think he scored six goals, six or seven goals, uh, and got about six or seven assists as well. And, uh, of course, because of this 18-year-old sensation, Renato Sanchez and the front two, who had just been scoring goals galore, they have been getting all the credit. And uh, he's gone a little bit under the radar, but he's, uh, he's, a, he's a good player, uh, Pizzi. And uh, I think he's definitely one who, if Zenit, mind you, I'm, I'm sure Andre Villas-Bos know all about him, but... If they kind of spend too much time concentrating on Benfica's see main threats, uh, he, could, he could be a surprise.
0: Yeah, I mean, with Zenit, the player I'd sort of pick out as a bit, not an underdog, but do you see what I mean? With you mentioning okay. the left back being a weak position, with Hulk playing on that side, you've also got the right full back, Igor Smolnikov, who a few months ago, I mean, it kind of went, died down pretty quickly, but Igor Smolnikov was actually linked with Barcelona back in the summer. That was very sort of tenuous link, but he is a very attacking full back. It would be really interesting to see how this sort of weak defence of
1: Benfica would be dealing with that threat. Yeah. Of course, with. Could I just ask you, yeah, sorry, Thomas, could I just uh, ask you a little bit about the striker as well? Uh, it? Uh, Zuba. Zuba, Zuba, That's it. yeah, Zuba, because I remember watching the Russia-Portugal uh, friendly uh, a couple of months ago and he really impressed me. He scored a winner, I think, just near the end. And he's, it's quite interesting because if I'm not mistaken, his late 20s, is he? mid late 20s.
0: Yeah, it's certainly not he, at the start of his career. He kind
1: of, Hasn't he just kind of uh, what you call a late developer? Because uh, he looked really, really good in that game. But uh, I must admit, I hadn't really been too aware of him before then.
0: Yeah, he's been a bit of a, I don't want to say a journeyman throughout the Russian leagues, but he played for Rostov last season on loan from Spartak because he fell out with Spartak due to a contract thing, which allowed Zenit to pick him up on a free transfer. And personally, I think it's the best signing of the league this season. Mm -hmm. Interesting forward, you know, he... Well, what's really interesting, with Spartak being Zenit's rivals, there was a lot of protest from Zenit fans when he signed lots of stickers around the city telling him to go back to Moscow in more aggressive terms, shall we say. But um, it's he is the, the real pivot. So you've got the wide men coming inside and you've also got that central midfield. They really play off him, use him as a pivot, yeah. but also because he's quite a big figure, use, holds up the ball and he's a good target man and can also finish as well. So really, a, a really ideal player for that particular system. And as we've seen this season in the Champions League, third top goal scorer. He's done, I think he's second top goal scorer in the Russian League as well. So really, really done well there. What I'd say as well is, judging from your newfound knowledge of Zenit, shall we say, what would you think that Benfica should be
1: most fearful of? Well, of course, they know all about uh, Holt, but I remember it was interesting that in his Porto days, of course, he was one of their main players, and yet he always seemed to score and he always seemed to thrive when he went to, uh, to Benfica. And so uh, they'd definitely be afraid of him, but that doesn't mean they'll be able to stop him. But like I said, I was yeah really impressed with his Zumba. And also, the even when Isandro Lopez was hit and uh, he was playing alongside uh, Jardel, uh, the other centre-back, uh, individually, the two of them, they were playing quite well. But uh, as far as coordination goes, they didn't really have it. And uh, Benfica conceded quite a few goals against uh, mediocre opposition, I think we can say. Very identical goals, which was just uh, even direct from corners or from free kicks or from crosses in, uh, you know, in open play. They almost always, the, the, the opposing centre forward, especially if he was a big striker, usually managed to escape those the attention to those two quite easily. And uh, they, they conceded quite a few headers, <coughs> just uh, you know very simple goals. And so they attracted quite a lot of criticism for that. So uh, I think that's one thing which Rui Vittorio the Benfica coach will be hammering into his players to uh, you know, just to try and either prevent those crosses coming in or uh, if they can't do that, to keep a very close eye on on Zuna. Because otherwise, uh, that could be a problem for Benfica. Uh, how about Zenit? Would you say there's anything which uh, Benfica can target? Uh, maybe a soft spot somewhere?
0: Definitely the centre-backs. You mentioned the 4-4-2 as well. It's not really a system played in the Russian league, but certainly those, def- I mean, like I said, Zenit are the top goal scorers in the Russian league, but it's just their defence has been really poor. And I'm looking at Luis Neto as well. Lombardts has had a bit of a dip recently and it's you know, Garai can't shoulder it all on his own, especially up against two. So I think if Benfica were looking to exploit Zenit, you'd definitely have to target those centre-halves as well. The full-backs, they are good, but they do bomb on. So if you've... if I mean, what's strange with this as well is both teams look to dominate in their own league, but I think it could be really interesting to see which one chooses to go for the counter-attack because it sounds like it could really pay benefit, if you were to counter-attack, if one team was to dominate. Just before we finish, Tom, can I just get a quick prediction for the first
1: leg and then an overall prediction? Uh, yeah, well, I think that like I said, I can see goals really because everything we've been talking about the last few minutes is just uh, I think these two teams are set up to uh, hunt for goals and uh, you know, keeping them out at the other end is usually a, you know, number two priority. So, uh, having said that, of course it, it, you can't forget it is a big game and a, a good chance to, I think, like we have mentioned, both sides will quite fancy their chances of getting to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and all the prestige that brings, as well as the, the money, which uh, in Benfica's case would definitely be very welcome. <clears throat> and so you know, they'll be giving it their best shots. I'd go for perhaps a narrow Benfica win 2-1 at the Luge. Uh, 2-1, or maybe a 2-2 draw. But no, I think I'll go for Benfica just edging a the, the win at the Luz. Uh, in the second game, I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar result. I'd say given Benfica's history, recent history in the competition, and also the fact that I think they will be prioritising trying to win the third Portuguese title on the row And uh, that very big game against Sporting uh, in between the two, two legs, I think Zenit might just edge it.
0: Okay, I think I'll go with something similar. I mean, like you said, there are, I mean, there won't be now that we've said this, but there are definitely going to be goals in this match. Again, I'd probably go for a score draw first leg and then second leg. Like you said, you've got the Lisbon derby and also you've got the travel time to factor in. I think Zenit will win that probably about 2-0, I think but um, I think that about brings us to the end. So Tom, if you could just explain to the listeners a bit about where they can find your website and a bit about it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just basically everything about Portuguese football, Portuguese domestic football, of course, and also Portuguese footballers abroad. Uh, it's called uh, net. That's dot net, And, uh, yeah, it's been going for 12 years now. And, uh, just if you like Portuguese, your, your Portuguese football, uh, that's the place to go. And a Twitter handle? Yeah, uh, the Twitter handle is Portugal One.
0: Okay, perfect. So do remember that to find follow Tom Kunder on. Twitter, you can find me at Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. I'm sure listeners will have heard that before, though. But anyway, I'd like to thank Tom again for his valuable contribution to the Russian Football News podcast. And hopefully when we have a Portuguese team meet, we'll we'll bring him back. So thanks again, Tom.
1: OK, thank you very much, Tom. No,
0: it's no All problem. All right, thank you. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that part of the podcast, everybody. Okay, so welcome to the second part of this Russian football news podcast, where we're going to be covering the match between Lokomotiv Moscow and Fenerbahce of Istanbul. I'm delighted to be joined again by Ilya Sakalov, a man from Russian Football News who co- generally covers Lokomotiv for us. How are you there, Ilya?
2: Uh, hi, everybody.
0: Hello. And for his uh, his well his debut appearance on the Russian Football News podcast, hopefully we'll have him back. A man from TurkishFootball.com. We've got Emre. Hi. Hello, I'm Emre Sarigul from Turkish Football. Okay, so just for the listeners, the first match, even though it's Europa League, it's a bit strange. It's on Tuesday, the 16th of February. First leg is in Istanbul. That's a five o'clock kickoff GMT. And then the second leg is a week later in Moscow on the 25th of February. That's a four o'clock GMT kickoff. So... I'm going to come to you first, Emre, if you don't mind, because our listeners generally won't know. How have Fenerbahce done this season domestically and both on the continent?
3: Well, they're currently first, but um, it's worth pointing out this is essentially a, a new team that was put together over the summer with um, the arrival of Fito Pereira, who's um, been quite hit and miss. He's been quite controversial so far. They have they initially had trouble gelling, which was to be expected considering how many new players they brought in. But it's all starting to come together at the right moment and they are currently first. Um they're unbeaten the last five European games and they haven't lost at home um I think all season.
0: Oh wow, okay. So pretty impressive. what about in Europe?
3: And they're unbeaten in their last five European games, but they did suffer um, quite an embarrassing 4-1 defeat against Molde. Well, it seemed embarrassing at the time, but Molde went on to top the group and are doing pretty well, so it um, doesn't seem as bad. But it, was, um, it did happen at the start of their campaign when they were starting to get everything together, and Vito Pereira was heavily criticised for... Um, he he hasn't really, really been making much use of Robin van Persie, What well, as much as the fans would have hoped. His um, Fernandao, who was initially supposed to be his um, backup, has actually become the first choice because of his prolific goal-scoring record. But um, it has been quite controversial, especially when the fans, because they um, want to see van Persie week in, week out.
0: Yeah, understandably with such a marquee signing. And Elio, what about Lokomotiv in Europe and in the league?
2: Uh, so Lokomotiv is uh, third right now in the league. Uh, just five points behind uh, CSK. And uh, it actually came as a surprise for everybody because nobody expected Lokomotiv to fight for Champions League uh, spot before this season. Uh, but that they did pretty well. Uh and uh, they topped uh, their Europa League group, uh, which also was a surprise because uh, they were f- thought to fight for the second place uh, with uh, Besiktas and Sporting w- was a strict favorite, but uh, uh, Lokantin managed to become first and they showed uh, pretty pretty good football experience. Uh, uh, excluding the game, the home game against Sporting.
0: Okay, so obviously both done quite well in Europe and doing pretty well domestically this season. So, Emre, what, is, so what formation and style do Fenerbahce like to adopt?
3: Well, yes, Vito Pereira has been um, playing a 4-3-3 um, for most of the season. So um, what the... the um, or strength or problem, however you look at it, is that he usually plays one striker. So that's either going to be Van Van Persie or Fernandau. And um, he does sometimes switch it up and play two up front for 4-4-2. But um, recently has been a 4-3-3 with um, usually one to two defensive midfielders with Mehmet Topol and Joseph de Souza. Um, Both who will be well-rested because they missed the weekend game due to suspension last weekend's game and um, he will be missing a two um, I wouldn't say key but quite influential players in Diego Ribas and on loan Liverpool winger Lazar Markovic who has found himself playing quite regularly since moving to Fenerbahce but um, so generally he likes to play possession football they um They're very well organised. Not the most aesthetically pleasing to watch. um, And that's been a criticism from the fans who like to see more attacking-based football. But it's been effective as their first um, unbeaten at home and um, doing well in Europe. So as far as Vita Prairie is concerned, um, I can't see changing anything radically um, by tomorrow. So we we should be looking at fourth, 3-3 Three-three setup with either Van Persie or Fernandão starting up front. Um, Nani should definitely be playing because he's um, really become the star man this season. And um, we we should the it should be um, the the backs will be worth keeping an eye on because they like to really get forwards and contribute to the attack, so they could be the ones uh, to.
0: Do so they look to um, steamroll the opposition in their own league? Is there sort of quite a vast superior difference?
3: Um, no, generally they, they've they been grinding out victories. Recently they have been scoring more, but a criticism was that they just were not finishing their chances and um, pretty content to sit on the lead when they achieve it. I mean, it hasn't been... Um, fantastic football to watch but it's been very effective so um, the fans are pretty divided on whether they like or dislike this playing style
0: okay so it's certainly quite interesting that sort of functional style Ilya you say that locomotives form this season has been a surprise is there any particular tactical reason behind that do you think
2: oh yeah sure definitely Uh, locomotive surprised everyone from the first game uh, using a very good uh, pressing uh, against Zenit in the Super Cup game, and uh, they showed uh, very good counter attacking football this season, uh, which helped them to get a win uh, against Sporting away or uh, against uh, Zenit or other stronger teams. So, uh, yeah, basically, Lokomotiv is very good in counter attacking football, but uh, we shouldn't. Be reminded that uh, uh, Nyasa, who moved to Everton this winter, uh, was uh, an integral part of these tactics. Uh, so uh, it, it's very hard to predict uh, whether uh, Lokmati will play the same football uh, against Fenet Bakhtche against other teams this season. Uh, because they lost their main forward and other uh, first choice forward, Petr Skuletić, is uh, definitely not made for counter attack and football. He is a target man who is good against uh, weaker opponents when you need to score one goal. Uh, uh, and uh, it's interesting what uh, Turevchenko said in one of the uh, interviews uh, uh, this winter. He said that he may think about using. Uh, wingers as uh, inside forwards and play just without striker play with false nine and uh, uh, actually the uh, locomotive young uh, young talent Alexey Mirancuk uh, may become the this false nine Uh, my prediction is that uh, locomotive uh, Uh, Bear in mind uh, uh, the Fenerbahce tactics that they like to play possession football. And bear in mind uh, Lokmotiv's strengths, uh, uh, it's wingers, it's uh, uh, fullbacks uh, who like to play contract attack and football. Uh, Lokmotiv will still play in this style, uh, play as a weaker team let me say that, so
0: So Emra, you mentioned the fullbacks and thing um, of perna Bache's game and their possession style, is there any particular weakness that they have, that locomotive could exploit?
3: Um, the main weakness is um, has been the creativity or lack of a spark of creativity um, they've had trouble breaking down well organised defences and um, trouble linking up in the final third because, um, as I mentioned before, this is it's, um, it's a side that was quite recently put together. I mean, half most of these players weren't playing together until this season. So that's that's been their um, main weakness so far. And they have looked a little vulnerable in defence at times, especially on the counter attack. So they um, tend to play quite a high line. So that, that could be something worth noting as well. But, um, um, if if they are on their game and I mean they they are they are linking up um, as they should in the final third they they do have a um, quite a large arsenal to draw from in terms of attacking talent because um, they, there's a lot of experience in this team especially in European competitions with players like Nani um, Van Persie obviously and um, Bruno Alves to to name a few.
0: So, Ilya, of course, Bruno Alves, um, ex-Zenit, by the way, used to play in the Russian League, of course. But, Elio, uh, you've mentioned with the counter-attacking style, I, um, Emre, sorry, has mentioned how Fernabache lack a bit of a spark. Well, Lokomotiv have generally been quite solid defensively, especially with Vedran Choluka at the back. But is there anything that Fernabache would look to exploit?
2: Oh, well, uh, uh, I should say that... Um... Maybe uh, the game against Sporting, the, the home game against uh, Sporting showed uh, uh, that our one of the, our best players, Vitaly Denisov, who is uh, our left uh, back, he's very good uh, in attack, he's very useful and uh, m- most of the season he's able to play uh, uh, in, on both uh, uh, parts of the pitch, in attack and defense doesn't matter because he is fast and uh, he's uh, usually very solid and he, he doesn't let the opponents like Hulk uh, to attack on his wing, but uh, I, I think uh, if Fennet find a way to pass in his zone while he's attacking well, he's like for example, he loses the ball in, on the f- attacking third of the pitch, I, I think they'll be able to exploit uh, uh, considering the the fact that uh, locomotive defensive midfielders are, are not maybe the fastest uh, in the league and maybe not the fastest uh, Fenerbahce faced, uh, uh, and so they won't be able... Uh, to cover Denisov, Uh, so, yeah, I think maybe that's uh, the zone they should look for, because uh, locomotive right-backs, especially Shishkin, uh, he's not attacking a lot, so he's very good defensively, he's like the third central defender, I should say,
0: so, yeah. So, Emre, Ilya's mentioned a lack of pace in the locomotive team, and he's mentioned that right-back specifically as well. Um, well, with I'm assuming that Fenerbahce must come across quite a lot of counter-attacking football in their league, but going back to locomotive, that departure of Nias has really hit them hard. Will they be able to be quite comfortable with that counter-attack, do you think?
3: Um, they will probably play two defensive midfielders to break, to break up um, counter-attacks because... Um, Pereira has identified that his side also like um, you are saying with the opposition tomorrow they lack pace I mean should lack pace as well um, they're not the quickest team and um, they he, he could be worried about a counter-attacking threat but the team is set up to deal with um, to, to basically deal with any counter-attacking um, threat posed but it, it 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 has been a problem this season. I mean, they do have the best defensive record in the league, saying that they have only conceded nineteen goals um, in the league, and their home record is, I mean, it's even it's even better. They've conceded just eight times, and um, they haven't lost. They've they've won nine, drawn two, so they they will be going for the win. I mean, the fans demand it. It's going to be a really intense atmosphere, I mean, with everything that's been going on. So, um, it. I mean, obviously, um, that that could, I would say that would be their number one um, problem dealing
0: with anyone that has speed on the counter. So, Ilya, I mean, Emre mentioned that Fernabache played at the weekend. Of course, Lokomotiv and all Russian teams have been on the
2: winter break. Do you think that that will really cost them in this? Well, uh... Well, I think it may become an advantage for Lokomotiv because uh, Trafchenko had time to prepare for for this specific game. And uh, if we look back at the beginning of the season when Lokomotiv had to uh, prepare for the game against Zenit in the Super Cup, uh, they they did pretty well. They they found a way to... uh, Threat uh, zenith. They, they found the uh, weaker zone so um, it's good that locomotive is focused on uh, these games and I think uh, it uh, it's not good for Lokomotiv uh, s- perspectives in the league because they didn't have enough time to prepare for the second part of the season but uh, I'm sure they, they will be prepared for Uh, these two games in the Europa
0: League. So, Emre, I mean, I I know Turkey's quite a big country, but I'm thinking of the travel time that Fenerbahce will have to do to get to Moscow, especially during a league season as well. Of course, Lokomotiv would be more used to it playing in Russia. Do they generally travel well over long distances?
3: Um, Do you mean domestically or in in Europe? Both. Um, They've done... Well, they haven't been in Europe for... um, they weren't in Europe for the past two seasons um, due to um, serving the UEFA ban. But uh, since their return, they, they've they actually done pretty well. I mean, they're unbeaten their last five European games. And this is actually the best run of form they've had all season. I mean, going into the game tomorrow, this is probably the best they've been playing. And um, it's. it's one of their best streaks, uh, apart from um, uh, they they lost against Antalyas for a full night ago. That was an away game, but um, in general, their away form is not as good as their away form. But they did obviously um, they they travelled to Celtic and they held a draw. They travelled to they didn't lose their away game against <coughs> against Molde either.
0: Yeah, so those are they're... quite vast distances and to cover from Ajax, Istanbul.
3: Yeah, too. so they went, they've been to Holland, um, Scotland, and managed, and they actually beat more they two 0 um, away. So they, um, they 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 won't be they will be pretty confident, but um, Pereira is a cautious coach, and I don't think he will be taking anything for granted especially against um,
0: Homero's opposition. It's quite weird because also Russian football news, obviously we're quite used to when the draws come out, a lot of teams saying, oh, we don't want a Russian team because it's quite far to travel. But actually you do forget how far away Turkey is from a lot of these places. It is level, it's even further than places like Bulgaria that people often don't want to go to. So it's quite a strange one, really. Ilya, with Nias departing, what players can we look out for for Lokomotiv?
2: Well, uh, I should say uh, definitely, uh, Alexi Mertchuk. I hope he will be in the squad tomorrow, because uh, uh, he he was good. He was, he did pretty good for for such a young player in the first part of the season, but he didn't get a chance to play in Europa League because uh, his uh, place as uh, uh, central attacking midfielder was occupied by Manuel Fernandes, and he did pretty well, I should say, because he, he was good in uh, our most important game against uh, Sporting in Lisbon. Um, but uh, uh, considering that uh, considering Yasa departure, uh, Miranchuk could become a, a false nine. Uh, he, he could play as a striker and uh, despite it's not his natural role, uh, he could play in this position pretty good and uh, in these uh, friendly games uh, Lokmotiv played this winter he scored uh, uh, as far as I remember four goals in five games uh, and not bad so actually, so many scouts will follow Miranchuk because um, I think may M- M- is the only player who could move from Lokomotiv uh, to the European club in near future. And uh, he will definitely have a desire to show his talent, to show his skills, uh, to show why he was uh, chosen by Messi to his team. So, yeah, that's the, the player to follow. Did I just hear that Messi chose him? Lionel Messi? Yeah, the, he, he was chosen by Messi. Uh, there is a project by Messi and Adidas... Uh, called backed by messi uh, he sent uh, when messi sent uh, his uh, boots uh, his adidas boots to 10 uh, most promising players in the world uh, chosen by him or um, it's more honest to say by adidas so and uh, miranchuk was one of them
0: so emre you've certainly got a, a bit of a prospect opponent on your hands tomorrow night I'm thinking with Nias as well, of course, you'll know a bit about... I know I know he's gone now, but in principle, you would know a bit about him from his time in Turkey. But what I was going to say was, you spoke about the right-backs, you spoke about Nani and the forward there at Fenerbahce. Is there anybody else we should look out for that Lokomotiv might need to keep an eye on?
3: Um, well, attack-wise, Fernandao is going to be the man they should really be focusing on. I mean, Van Persie, obviously, he's he can create something out of nothing, and he he still has the talent. I mean, he, he is- his goal record isn't actually as bad as um, people are making out. He's, he scored 10 times already this season. But Fernandão, he was um, he came from obscurity in Brazil. I mean, he wasn't doing particularly well in Brazil, but he came to Turkey. Um, he was goal-king last year at Bursaspor, earning himself a move to Fenerbahce and where he was expected to be um, Van Persie's replacement as I said but he's already got 19 goals this season and he's a real handful up front I mean he's um, he's 192 he's he's big he's strong he's um, he's a real he's quite a nuisance to deal with for opposition defenders I mean if there's if the defenders aren't um, used to dealing with physical players with an aerial threat he could really pose them a problem i mean he could be the one to watch out for more more than um, van persie depending on who plays he, but... i think Fernanda will be given a chance because he has earned the trust of Pereira uh, this season
0: yeah that's certainly an insight that we never get we usually think here that van persie's first choice man but it's certainly interesting to know that he's really not the first choice and there's somebody else i mean Ilya, judging by what Emre said throughout the last whatever time we've been on here, what should Lokomotiv really be wary of from this Fenerbahce side?
2: Uh, yeah, I think one Persie is the player they should uh, uh, mark uh, and they, they should care about because if we look back at the game against Bashiktash in Moscow, uh, well, locomotive did pretty good in defense, but uh, just when Mario Gomez, uh, who's who was one of the top strikers in the world, and he still has the quality, when he had his moment, he scored, and uh, that's the point. That this that's the same. The same could be with Van Percy and uh, he's a dangerous uh, threat will think about uh, covering him uh, maybe man marking or something else but uh, he'll definitely need will need to do something with him. And
0: Emre what about what you've heard from Ilya about locomotive? is there anything Fenerbahce should be particularly wary of?
3: Well um, Fenerbahce fans to be quite familiar with um, Manuel Fernandez cause he was playing for their rivals Besiktas and he had um, quite a reputation as a um, quite an impressive playmaker I mean obviously Niasse's gone he was well known as well but um, in general they'll they'll be confident at home I think they'll be quite worried for the away game um, because it's going to be pretty heated on and off the field so um, there, um, I think Fernandez will be the player most Fenerbahce players, most Fernandes fans know about so he'll be the main guy Um, he'll get a lot of the attention from the media and the fans going into the game
0: and I'm just going to fire this straight back at you Emre, what about a prediction for both legs and overall
3: Um, I think the first leg will end in a I'm going to say 1-0 win to Fenerbahce and I think the away leg could go 1-0 to Moscow and uh, I think we could go to extra time. I think this could go to distance. Because I, I, I think
0: both teams could just...
3: cancel each other out and it could be quite a gritty game, especially a midfield battle going on.
0: Yeah, it does sound like they'd be cancelled out, especially judging by what we said with Fenerbahce being possession-based and locomotive more on the counter. Ilya, what about a prediction from you just before we round this off? Uh,
2: well, considering what we said, my prediction is that... Uh... Uh, Lokomotiv will look uh, as a weaker team and uh, have maybe less chances to score and maybe even in both games they they will play counter-attack and football even at home because we don't have uh, uh, such support in Moscow uh, so the team doesn't have to play attack and football so yeah and I can't actually make any particular prediction. I think uh, both teams will manage to score in both games. That's my prediction.
0: Okay, so you've both sat on the fence, which (laughs) which I'm really annoyed about. So, I mean, what I would say is just before we round this off, I mean, we all know there's been issues between the two countries recently, and I hope this game really does show that football can unite all people, really, despite all these chaos that's going on. So, anyway, that's the end of this part. I'd like to thank Ilya Sokolov from Russian Football News again. Yeah,
2: thank you, guys.
0: And Emre from TurkishFootball.com. Thanks, guys. Okay, Emre, just before I uh, let you go, is uh, can you just explain to the listeners a bit about your website and things, just so where they can find you?
3: Yes, we uh, run a website, TurkishFootball.com. Um, it's geared at Providing Turkish football news to an English-speaking audience. So, um, if you want to check that out, we will be um, happy for you to come along, and we can follow us on Twitter as well, at Turkish underscore football f u t b o l.
0: Okay, perfect. So make sure everybody checks that out. Once again, I'd like to thank Ilya and Emre, and we'll see you in the next part. Okay, so we now move on to the final part of this European preview podcast from Russian Football News, where we are, in, again, inviting a, another guest from a foreign land. Um, well, this time on the Russian side of things, we have the uh, our editor-in-chief, we have Turka. How are you there? Hello there. And we also have Chris from CZEFootball.com. Chris Boothroy. Hi. Uh, hello there. Thank you for joining us. And uh, you're not actually in the Czech Republic, I gather
4: um no i'm in leeds but it's probably about as cold as the czech republic at the moment okay so in this part of the podcast
0: we're previewing sparta prague versus krasnodar the first leg of that tie this is the europa league the first leg is on the 18th of february that's 20.05 uh, kickoff time that's greenwich mean time and then the second leg is uh, the 25th of february and that is back in krasnodar at six o'clock gmt So we just may as well get this straight underway. Um, Just a quick introduction to each team, really, for the listeners. Tojko, seeing as you're covering Krasnodar, can you just um, explain to the readers how they've got on domestically and continentally?
5: Yeah, of course. Uh, Krasnodar had a really difficult start to the season. It was was obvious that the many games they had to play because of the Europa League qualification and everything, it really took its toll on the players. So they started... On a bad note, but since since September, really, since the group stage started, they have proved a lot. And they have only lost one game since uh, since the middle of September, in 16 games. They are currently fifth in the Russian league. They are four points behind Rostov on the second place. So they are definitely in the run to for the Europeans' positions. And they won their Europa League group uh, in front of uh, Dortmund, among others. So... They put together a really good run towards the end of the fall season
0: okay so we have certainly a decent russian team here so chris can you explain to us because obviously most listeners of the russian football news podcast won't have known much about sparta prague can you just sort of give us a bit of a background to how they've done this season both uh, domestically and continentally
4: right so at the beginning of this season um sparta decided to go out and spend a bit of money um, not talking huge amounts, but we are talking large amounts for the Czech Republic. And they brought in a glut of signings, mainly from abroad, uh, so non-Czech uh, or Czech-based players at, at the time, and tried to you know, shoehorn them into a new three-five-two formation. That um, kind of has backfired massively, um, as at the start of the season, uh, as I'm sure you'll know, Sparta were drawn against uh, CSKA Moscow in the Champions mm-hmm. League qualifiers. They drew to all um but in the second leg uh, at home uh, sparta went 2-0 up after 16 minutes but then somehow managed to throw that away and lost 3-2 and um, this prompted a lot of soul searching and questions asked and um, but still you know the path was you know we spent all this money on these foreign players um on high wages um at the expense of sort of the homegrown youth um to a large degree um and they've sort of plowed through the europa league with Success. They finished second uh, behind Schalke in their group, but domestically they've—I don't want to say underperformed because they're second at the moment, only three points behind their uh, Victoria Pilsen. But they just have this habit of losing big games. Uh, they lost obviously to CSKA in the in the Champions League from you know brilliant position. They've lost to Pilsen in um, in the league, and they've also lost to Slavia Prague in the league. Probably the three biggest games of the season. They have just. Sort of thrown away um, from positions of strength, and this has led to a sort of a funny winter where they've tried to offload the majority of the summer signings to uh, to bring in Czech-based players and players that have performed well in the Czech league over the autumn. So they've kind of come at a crossroads where they're between squads and between systems. So I kind, you know, don't really know where to put them at the moment.
0: Sounds like a story that would really fit the Russian League, actually, so maybe it's just the whole Eastern European thing. We've all got it a bit crazy over here. Toker, could you just explain to the listeners what playing... Because they might have seen, especially the English-based ones, might have seen Krasnodar against Everton uh, last year. So what sort of playing style will they adopt this time? Is it a bit different to last season or is it pretty much the same?
5: I'm uh, I'm sure the the English listeners who remember the Everton games will actually... Uh, would be will be impressed by Krasnodar and was impressed by Krasnodar back then the style is, is still pretty similar they have the same coach they have many of the same players um they have a very direct approach with some very quick strikers and i think the the playing style they use is, is very good for european football especially against stronger teams because it's them, it allows them it allows them to um, to really play on their strength in 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 the russian league they use um they dominate most games they have the third-highest position in the league and the third-highest passing uh, rate as well. But in the European matches, they sit a bit further back, and then they have these really quick strikers in Ari, the Brazilian, and Fyodor Smolov as well. And with some good uh, technical midfielders, they really really, uh, know how to take advantage of the quick strikers and get behind the defense of their opponents. And I think that... um, and I think that suits Europe very well, and I think that will also cause some problems for Sparta Prague, especially if they try to move forward and, and dominate the games. And then, of course, Krasnodar are very strong on set pieces as well. That's also, um, that's also important to notice. They've scored I think they're the best team in Russia on set pieces statistically this season. And also against in the European matches, they showed that as well. They scored against Dortmund. That was on a penalty, but still a set piece. And yeah, so they have um, they have many different strengths to play on and they know how to use them.
0: So, Chris, you mentioned earlier that Sparta Prague tend to play a 3-5-2 formation. So what what sort of style do they adopt around that? Is it very much a possession based on that?
4: Um, it's, it was kind of a 3-5-2, um, but then going back into a sort of, you know, standard 4-3-3, four, 4-5-1 three, three, four, uh, without the ball. Um, and it does seem, sort of from what I can gather, that... The three five two is definitely a thing of the past now. So expect a more standard four five one, four, three, three, 3 uh, going forwards. And um, domestically, they do kind of tend to try and just steamroll the opposition because the golfing class from the top clubs in the Czech League to the bottom is quite it's quite a big one. Um, you know, and they do, you know, play well, dominate proceedings, have a lot of the ball, you know, look to work it out wide and then just sort of rely on a moment of magic if there's you know sort of 10 men behind the ball and you know sort of cliche defending like that but in europe they're a bit more um i don't want to say pragmatic is probably the right word to use they they, they know that when they're up against a better team i think as we saw in the games against schalke that they're happy to sit back defend get the men behind the ball break quickly and get a bit of luck to sort of grind, grind out the result um you know they are capable of playing some fast and exciting football. They've got two extremely good wingers, um, but unfortunately one of them is uh, cup tied for the Europa League game, so sort of the threat from the right will be nullified a little bit. But the sort of Vladislav Kreski on the left, he'll be bombing forward. Um, he's a proper you know old school get to the byline winger. He'll be putting the crosses in the box. Um, but one to watch out for, and this is um, a strength and a weakness I feel, is they've signed Andrzej Hustel from Slavia over the winter. Now, he was a right winger, um, you know, plenty of assists um, and goals for the club over there and made his debut uh, for the Czech Republic national team. But Sparta have decided to convert him from a right winger into a right back. So, again, plenty of attacking threat from, from, you know, the back four there. But, you know, there will be gaps to exploit if he starts bombing off uh, down the field and sort of loses his positional play a little bit. So,
0: would you say that, because you mentioned how they dominate the Czech League so much, do they find it hard, that transition into European football, where they're not, not quite so dominant, quite difficult?
4: Yeah, I think they do. I mean, again, going back to the uh, match against CSK in Moscow, they, you said, they were 2-0 up after 15 minutes. And I honestly think that they didn't know what to do, because they didn't expect to be 2-0 up after 15 minutes, and then they then panicked and sort of shipped three girls in. And it's that sort of thing happens, you know, again, against sort of Pilsen. um, I mean, Slavia is always, you know, a tough game because it's the Prague Derby and the heated atmosphere and so on. But if they're kind of forced, you know, onto the back foot to be a bit more defensive than they were not typically used to, then, you know, they can have massive failings. But if they set up for it, you know, from the outset to be, right, plan A is to be defensive, then they're all okay. It's that kind of transition from I think plan A to plan B that you know really conflomics the squad at times.
5: It, it sounds a bit similar to what you see in Russia, but we also have CSKA struggling to go from being the one of the best teams in the Russian league to playing in the Champions League where they have to to, to take a different approach. And um yeah and, and in Russia where the play where the teams play against very defensive teams and then in Europe where it's very different. That's that's definitely relatable for some for someone like me and Thomas following the Russian clubs.
0: What's well, strange to yeah, Chris? Go on, go on, Chris. It's fine.
4: Yeah, I was going to say yeah. I mean, like the Schalke game was a case in point. They were set up not to not to attack, not to play off the front foot, but to you know take the chances as and well when they appeared and sort of contain Schalke. And they were exceptional. You know, they more than matched um, you know one of the top clubs in in the Bundesliga. But they just can't seem to, as I said, you know, transition from. You know, we want to attack all the time and dominate proceedings to sort of that defensive mindset without there being a massive wobble in between. And I think, you know, if they do perhaps go 1-0 up or you know, 2-0 up against Krasnodar, then, you know, that's probably when they're at the weakest.
0: What I was going to say, Tucker, was although we've mentioned the weakness of Russian clubs in Europe, Krasnodar are actually quite strong continentally. What other strengths do they have that's really going for them in, in the continent?
5: Yeah, as I said before, I think their the style simply fits Europe very well. And I think the, um, they are a bit less ambitious than clubs like Senate and CSK, who try to play the same way in Europe as they do domestically, but they try still to, to dominate the games. I know that wasn't really the case for CSK this season, but Crescent has a more cynical approach, and they know what the strength are, strengths are, and they know how to use them. For example, they have uh, Mamayev and Akhmetov on the central midfield, two great uh, midfielders who work, work both ways and rarely lose position, and they know how to find the strikers in the open space behind the defenders. Furthermore, they're they're good in the set pieces, which is a strength you really need when you play in, in Europe. And then I think this season, I know I said before that they haven't changed their approach that much compared to last season, but this season they have more international experience last season was the first time they ever played in uh, uh, Europe and this year they've pre- uh, tried it before and you can also see they're more they're better in front of goal last season they missed a lot of chances and i think they should have advanced from their group really last season even though they met Everton and Wolfsburg but they were simply not good enough in front of goal and but that and that hasn't been the case this year they've have, they've have been really good in front of goal and yeah they're taking advantage of their chances now, which
4: is important. So, Chris, what's Sparta Prague's um, greatest strength then? I'm loath to say it because I think it's one of their biggest weaknesses. Um, but uh, And again, it goes against sort of everything that I've said before. But uh, defensively, they're, they're very, very strong. They've only conceded 10 goals so far in the Czech League, which is the best defensive record uh, in the Sinat Liga. And, you know, they more than held their own against Schalke. They're, you know, they did concede two um, in one game, but, you know, can't really judge that on, you know, reflective of the, the defensive performance that day. Uh, they've got, as I said, now Zahustel at right back, who's going to be an attacking threat, and the same with Costa um, at left back. Um, at centre back, uh, they've got uh, Jakub Brabet and probably um, Mario Holek, though they have signed uh, Andre Mazuch from uh, Dnipro, um, Really like that centre back partnership, but there is always a sense that there's a mistake waiting to happen. But again, you know, they've only conceded 10 goals in the league, best defensive record in the Czech Republic, yet, you know, there's still a massive question mark on that area.
0: Yeah, you've mentioned how their strengths and weaknesses tie One I was considering, and I don't know if Toka thought the same um, Krasnodar, of course, playing in Russia, don't really have too much of a problem with travelling. Will Sparta find it quite difficult to travel the vast distance?
4: I would say that the sort of the way the uh, the draw has worked out obviously with Sparta being at home first is a bit of a negative I mean like um, Krasnodar as well, you know they've been on the winter break, so I think perhaps going to Russia first would have been a benefit um you know instead the play, sort of playing at home back into the routine of you know playing in the Czech Republic but being back there from their uh, winter training camp um, for a while now, so I think you know it could be a bit of a sort of, culture shock. To the system, you know, to travel, you know, a couple of hours east um, across the time zones. Um, but the short trips and so on, it's not been an issue. But given, you know, the the, the way the uh, the fixture has fallen in the time of year and going back off training camps, then it could be.
0: So Toker, do you think um, what are Krasnodar's weaknesses? Personally, I think maybe the winter break goes against them, and again, the travelling time to the Czech Republic.
5: Yeah, definitely. I, it it is a big question mark what kind of form Krasnodar are in at the moment. We haven't seen them play a competitive match in three months, almost. So, it it would be, it will be a difficult um, to play the, the match against Sparta. Of course, they have played a lot of friendlies, they have been on training camp and everything, but the real thing is just very different. I would also like to, to point out that even though they were in Europe last season, they are still, especially compared to a, a team like Sparta, relatively unexperienced at, at this level. And then, one of the things I will find the most interesting about this matchup is actually who Krasnodar will use in, in the goalkeeper position. They signed Stanislav Kritchuk from uh, Braga this winter. And I wrote on Russian football news that he could become the best signing this winter. And I, I still think so. He has been very impressive in, in Portugal so far. So it will be very interesting to see if they give him the debut or they will pick the, the more su- sure choice and, and go with Andre Dickon.
0: Yes, so on the Sparta side of things, Chris, who, who are the key players and who should we really be looking out for? Uh,
4: well, I've mentioned uh, Ladislav Kreshki before. Uh, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. I imagine he will be starting out wide on the left. The um, goalkeeper, uh, David Bisic, I think, is absolutely wonderful. He is getting on a little bit, and um, the rumours are that he won't be sort of staying on his first choice goalkeeper for Sparta come the end of the season. but you know, he's an excellent shot stop, uh, stopper and controls the area very well. Um, sort of, you know, going forward, David Lafata, you, you cannot not name him. I know it's a double negative, but, you know, he's, he's getting on. But he just is such a good penalty box striker. Um, doesn't really do too much, uh, you know, in the final third. But if he ever gets the ball 12 yards from goal, he's, he's absolutely deadly. He's sort of, um, I'd say, check Jermaine Defoe in that respect.
0: <laughs> okay, we'll certainly look forward to that. And what about on Krasnodar's side, Tucker? You've mentioned the goalkeeper. Who
5: else? Yeah, I'd like to, to highlight the Brazilian um, Rausinho, he's a, a, a really, really strong winger. He was injured for most of the of the fall season, so we haven't seen him that much. But in his two previous seasons for Krasnodar, he was by far the best player and one of my favorite players in Russia and easily one of the most entertaining and underrated players as well. So. I really hope he can stay injury free this spring because he he's such an such an entertaining player and, and a wonderful wonderfully gifted midfielder as well.
0: So, Toko, I'm going to come to this with you first. Judging by what Chris has said about Sparta Prague, what should along with Krasnodar's weaknesses, what should they be most fearful of? Do you think?
5: I think um, Krasnodar they, they need to be to be smart about this match because from what I hear from Chris. Sparta Prague has some some obvious strength, especially both defensively, but also um, offensively. And Krasnodar cannot allow, um, cannot make some of the mistakes they made in the fall, especially in the in the first part of the season, that the defense was horrible. And they need to they need to be on top of that from the beginning of this match. Okay, Chris,
0: and what about from your side? What you've heard from Toka?
5: I
4: would say that if uh, Krasnodar can get underneath Sparta's skin. Um, be that sort of, you know, cynically uh, committing quite a few niggly fouls here and there, or just by sort of, you know, a relentless wave of attack, followed by a re- relentless wave of attack to really put them on the back foot. Then I think we can see, you know, Sparta begin to, you know, wobble a bit and then, you know, they will ultimately break and, you know, snap. They said uh, the defense does have, you know, a mistake in them. You get that kind of feeling every time that the, the sort of opponents drive forward. that uh, they're gonna commit a mistake there's going to be a wayward pass there's going to be a wayward tackle that'll allow a, an opponent a clear sight on goal um, and a little bit further forward in midfield um Marek Matyovski and Lukas vaka both have previous on committing some uh, rather stupid errors when put under pressure be it you know a suicidal back pass or a a yeah. moment of madness which season gets sent off so you know if Krasnodar can sort of you know really ramp up the pressure i mean especially at home then I think you know, there is a chance that that Sparta will crumble.
5: One one of Spar, uh Krasnodar's problems in the uh, in the team is that their central defenders Granqvist and Sigurdsson are not very fast either of them. So I have the feeling that this Czech Jemenev Defoe, can can also punish Krasnodar if they give up possession too easily. We saw that in um, in the fall, especially against Dortmund, where Aboubakar was very very close to scoring several goals. So. I also need to to look out and, and don't lose position in in dangerous positions.
4: Yeah, I think if the wingers can get forward and sort of get in behind uh, the defence to, you know, sort of uh, pull the ball back towards, um, like, La Fata or any on-running midfielders, then that's probably um, Sparta's best chance. But, you know, I say that and they'll probably score with a wonderful 90-pass, tikka-taka kind of move now.
0: Well, we'll see. It does sound like quite an unpredictable match. So... With that in mind, I'm going to get you both to predict the outcome. So, Toke, with the first leg first, and then an overall prediction for the whole tie.
5: Yeah, I saw Krasnodar win 4-1 against Anzhi today, and Fyodor Smolov looked really good, scored two goals, so I have to go with the Krasnodar, and they are my favourite to advance from this one. They might not win the first match in Prague, but I think they will move on to the next leg.
0: Put, put a score on it. Uh,
5: let's go with a, a total score of Four two to Krasnodar. It seems like just like Krasnodar, Prague seems like a very entertaining team with some offensive firepower. So I think it will be two two good games with with plenty of goals, hopefully. And so what yeah, about a, a total four two to Krasnodar, and maybe a two one defeat in the first game, and then they'll go up and win three one at home.
0: And what about from your side, Chris?
4: Um, well, Sparta's form has been a bit sort of hit and miss over the winter training camps, but. You know, do you really read too much into that? Um, you know, and they play the first uh, league game against Linn uh, on Saturday, uh, which is, well, tomorrow, as I'm speaking now. Um, but I kind of get the feeling that the first game will be a bit of a, a sort of gung-ho affair um, with both teams, you know, coming back off that winter break. So I'll, I'll say sort of a high-scoring sort of 2 old draw, which obviously will give Krasnodar the advantage for return leg, uh, which I will... St- sort of stick my neck out and say that Krasnodar will win that sort of 3-1 uh, or 2-0, there'll be a two-goal margin either way.
0: Good to see you promoting the quality of Czech football here.
4: <laughs> well, I, I, I just think there's this um, probably sort of, you know, uh, not saying a golfing class, um, but sort of, I would say that Krasnodar are probably a bit a bit better side than Sparta. And I just I can't trust Sparta in the big games.
0: Well, we like to be very biased towards the Russians on uh, Russian football news, so that's absolutely fine. I think that pretty much rounds it off, gents. To be honest, um, as we usually do at the end, Toka, do you want to just uh, pass out your Twitter handle for the listeners?
5: Of course, it's uh, Toka thelade T O K E T H E I L A D E.
0: Okay, and Chris, do you want to just give us your personal Twitter handle and also a bit a bit about your website where we can find it?
4: Yeah, um, the Twitter handle for the website is uh, CZE Football, uh, and the website is czfootball.com. Um, It's just a website about Czech football, Um, is the easiest and simplest way to describe it. Okay, and what about your personal Twitter handle? Um, Yeah, that's at ChrisJB underscore. That's much more sort of um, ranting at Leeds United and other boring things that nobody really wants to to listen or hear about. It's
0: fine, We'll we'll enjoy following it. Okay, once again, gents, I'd like to say thank you and uh, hope you've enjoyed the last of these previews, and we'll certainly look forward to the match next Thursday. So thank you once again for listening to the Russian Football News Podcast. Um, thanks again to our domestic guests and our foreign guests. Our domestic guests, well, first it was me, so that's at Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. Then we had Ilya Sakolov, he is un- at Loko Sokol. And then we had thelade who is at Toka now, our foreign guests, just to reiterate them, we had Tom Kundut from Portugal.net, so that is at Portugal1, and that's Portugal.net. Then from Fenerbahce, we had Emre from Turkish football, so that is at Turkish underscore football, F U T B O L. And then finally, we had Chris Boothroyd from CZE Football. That is at CZE Football. So, again, thanks for listening and we hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Do keep looking at the website, things are going up there constantly. At Russ Football News on Twitter. Uh, search us out on Facebook and subscribe to this podcast via SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever. Give us a nice review as well. That'd be very nice. And we hopefully see you on the next one.
3: На поле мяч. Идёт футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч.